Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Eric Koslick, host of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast, and this is OPP. <laughs> God bless everybody and welcome to another episode of OPP. Other People's Podcasts is America's number one discovery platform that highlights your favorite podcasters and the dope shows they created. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Our special guest this episode is Eric Koslick, host of the amazing podcast, Modern Bar Cart. This cocktail podcast gives great information for home bartenders and industry professionals alike. If you're looking to take your cocktail game to the next level, this podcast is for you. I went down to Eric's home in Washington, D.C., and Eric and I talked about his passion for all things spirits. We got into how he got into the spirits industry. He shared some of his knowledge and alcohol fun facts. We experienced a cocktail tasting live on air. He shares his podcaster's picks. And of course, we get into his dope show, Modern Bark Art. So let me introduce you to Eric Coslick. Testing, testing. What's up? It's a great level. Perfect. Yo, we in the zone. What's up, Eric? What's going on, Corey? Dog. Uh, thank you so much for having me in your home, bro. It's very, very nice. Yeah. You're a classy guy. Thank you. Thank you. It took uh, about half a decade of uh, living in the, the mouse-infested uh, apartments to, to get here, <laughs> but we're, we're here. We're here. Look, Some of the lawns cut. <laughs> Look, if you see... Well, first of all, the word lawn cut, I have not heard that. I live in Brooklyn. There, I have not the word lawn cut in a long time. There you go. Cool, man. Well, thanks for making the trip down, including me in this uh, little travel uh, travel walkabout that you're doing. Look, come on, man. Like, look, well, first of all, it's good to finally connect with you. George, what was George? George Macharco. Shout out to George Macharco. Yes. Shout out to him for introducing me to, to Modern Barkhart, yep. which I'm a big, big fan of. Great. He has a great podcast as well. It's, it's He does a really tight interview format, and I, I really enjoyed being on it, so... No, so so tell me, are you are you from DC? Not from DC originally. I grew up in Western Mass. I've been kind of gradually making my way south uh, as I've gone okay. to college. Uh, went to undergrad in Gettysburg for psychology. Then at uh, Gettysburg College. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Uh, kind of really cool place. Uh, kind of a bubble, like many many places, uh, the small liberal arts colleges. But then uh, I went my, down to my, my homegirl from high school moved to Gettysburg and like said the same thing. It's a cool place. Like she like really like raves about Gettysburg. I just recently went back there for one of the last episodes that we published, uh, um, Mason Dixon Distillery. Okay, and uh, it, it's beautiful. Really enjoyed. What, what, what do they make there? The Mason Dixon Distillery. They make a, t- a whole different range. So like when you come up with a craft distillery, like one of the first questions that you can ask is like, are they a specialist or are they a generalist? Okay. And Mason Dixon's definitely more of a generalist. The guy who runs it, uh, Yanni, uh, he's just very curious. He's He's got a, a Greek background, so he likes Uzo and he's, he's into whiskeys, into Jennifer, like just a ton of crazy stuff. But then you'll run into something like a Sagamore Spirit in Baltimore. Okay. Um, and they're like, we make rye. Okay. Okay. Well, what'd you major in at Gettysburg? Uh, psych major there. Uh, I have two unrelated degrees in the humanities, which which is 
kind of why I'm I'm here doing this instead of <laughs> <laughs> something a bit wait, more specialized. Wait, what was the other major? Then I went and got my master of fine arts in poetry. Oh, dope! Yeah, at University of Maryland uh, College Park. So that's how I came down to DC. Okay. Um, I moved down here with uh, my buddy Ethan and my other friend Russell, and they incidentally are the two co-founders of my company. Oh, dope! So, so first of all, you're the person that I want to have uh, in trivia. So I, I went to school in high school for humanities and a gifted program. So you study all of art history and the in the history of culture and the history of language. Yeah, but it's dope because you're the person that you want to have during trivia or during Jeopardy. We're the people that you want on your team. Big fan of of, of Jeopardy. Big fan of trivia. Um, I am garbage at pop culture, though. So, oh. that, that, but I bet you know you. Okay, together. Yeah, we are a mean team. Wait, how you like living in DC? I love living in DC. You know, I um, I grew up in a log cabin uh, at the end of a quarter mile dirt road in the woods. So, uh, if you'd asked me when I first moved down to Hyattsville to go to the University of Maryland, it was one of the suburbs right outside of DC. If you'd asked me if I would enjoy city life, I would have said, no, I'm going to tolerate as long as I can. Uh, but I, I really have enjoyed living in DC. Um, there's, you know, there's, there's some stuff not to like about it for sure. You know, traffic, DC Metro tra- oh, traffic is garbage. Har- horrible. Beltway. Horrible. I, I plan like when I have to go and, and do sales calls or, um, podcasts outside, I I'm like, I'm not getting on the road until 10 AM and I'm not getting back any, I'm not getting back on the road to come back any later than 3 PM. Cause otherwise you just can't move. No, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, uh, I say, when you live in complicated areas like LA or New York or DC, uh, there's factors in your day. Uh, in New York, the weather is a factor. Uh, in, totally. In LA, traffic is a factor. DC, traffic is a factor. Totally. Like, without a doubt. Right. And everybody thinks they're smart. They're like, oh, I'm going to leave it for. Well, no. Everyone's so leaving it for. Everybody's leaving it for. So you're not smart. You're just part of the problem now. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Uh, well, what's it like? This is like the first city you've ever lived in. What is it like adjusting socially or? You know, professionally, is there any adjustment at all? For me, uh, I tend to be a little bit more of a homebody, a little bit more of an introvert when it comes to social stuff. Uh, I, I was lucky. There's there's some organizations that I'm a part of. One is uh, called The Inner Loop, mm-hmm. which is, uh, they also have a podcast, The Inner Loop Radio, um, but they are a creative writing uh, kind of series and community that I joined coming right out of grad school and they do monthly readings here. And so that's a good way to get out and meet people and participate in culture. Um, and so, so that's been really good. And, uh, otherwise just, I mean, the podcast has been huge in just like helping me get to know people in this area uh, and, you know, and beyond. So it's, I, I find that one of my big struggles was kind of like networking and and being social because I grew up in a family culture where it was like, if, if you're networking, you clearly aren't working hard enough doing the work that you're supposed to be getting done right now. It's like networking wasn't really valued. And I think the more I've done the podcast and the more I've, I've gotten opportunities based out of that, I'm realizing that it's, there's a way to use who you know well and not just to not not be like one of those privileged people who just get things passed down to them based on who they know, right. but to try and actually, you know, give value to who you know, and then you kind of get that back in return. It always helps that, you know, I do something that involves cocktails and spirits and stuff like that, because, you know, you're rarely disappointed to see the cocktail guy. 
Yeah, true. Right? <laughs> Social lubricant, you know, it tastes good. How, how'd you get into like your the like you know loving spirits? Uh, so it started when I started a craft cocktail bitters company, uh, Embitterment, with uh, my two co-founders who we moved we moved down here from from Gettysburg, and uh, it started just as a kitchen thing. Uh, my buddy Ethan was messing around with bitters. I was like, hey, let's maybe tweak this X, Y, and Z. What if we did this? So we made it really good. And then, you know, we kind of had that light bulb moment of like, oh, we could sell this. And so at that point, we hit up Union Kitchen, which is a food company accelerator and manufacturing space here in Washington, D.C. We've been with them from the start and uh, filed some paperwork, turned into a business and then started selling uh, our bitters and getting feedback from a ton of local retailers, distillers, bars and bartenders. And um, then after a couple of years, it grew to the point where we decided that instead of just having a a line of cocktail bitters, we were going to expand, rebrand and um, continue educating. So so, um, Embitterment turned from a brand into a product line. Okay. And now the the brand is Modern Bar Cart and our, our kind of idea, the reason why we are here is to help people build a home bar that they're really excited about and that they can do a really good job entertaining with. So we're kind of providing some of the mixers and some of the the tools that you need to do that. But then we're also here really to provide great, free, high quality, nutritious education about spirits and cocktails. Because when we we first launched the bitters, we did it at this event called DC Veg Fest. And okay. It's a big vegan kind of natural food place. And we we thought... Well, who's, who's going to know about bitters? We're like, I bet it's those hippies and their essential oils. They're going to know what bitters are. And yet, even with that targeted audience, we were, we still spent that entire event, instead of selling bitters, explaining what they were. So really early on, it was that inflection point where it's like, educate, educate, educate. And so as soon as we rebranded, I got the idea for the podcast and uh, just started putting together episodes, sitting down with the people I immediately had in the vicinity with me. And uh, we are about to turn 100 episodes old in we're, less we're, than we're. two weeks. Burr, burr, burr. <laughs> Congratulations, dog. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's uh, weird to be 100. So uh, t- tell me, where did like, your natural beginning love for spirits you know, come from? Do you remember the first drink you ever had? First cocktail I ever had? Just drink you ever purchased or ever had on your own? My first cocktail story is pretty good. What was that? So I'd never had a real cocktail before. I uh, didn't. I didn't actually drink all that much in college because I wasn't part of Greek life. Gettysburg's eighty percent Greek. I was part of the twenty. Okay. Um, and so I was also an athlete in college. I did uh, decathlon, and so I was just beating up on my body. I can't couldn't really be putting alcohol into it anyway. So, um, but one summer I was working. Uh, I worked at a restaurant outside of, of Gettysburg and the chef was doing this amazing like wood-fired Galician Spanish tapas cuisine and he he was doing things to food that I'd never seen before. Um, and, and I did something really shitty to him one day. I didn't even realize it, but uh, apparently he was getting paid $100 a day to run this really world-class restaurant and he was he had two kids, another kid on the way. And, and I, I complained to him at one point after the shift about like tips being slow that night and he just looked at me with like the dad eyes like the i'm i'm tired but i i see this world in a different way than you do yeah and he was just like you know you make more money than i do right and i don't think i'd ever felt as shitty as i did in that moment so the next day i went to the liquor store and i got a bottle of maker's mark 
because uh, I wanted to get him something nice, but I didn't know what nice was at that point. Right, so right. I saw the red wax dripped over the top. And sold. I was, I was like, okay, <laughs> this at least it looks nice. So I got that. I brought it in. And I was like, hey, are we good? He's like, yes, we're good. He poured he poured some out, like took a big took a big shot of it himself, and then he made a a, a simple syrup, and he told me to go out to the the garden and pick some mint. And then he put the the simple syrup and the mint directly in the bottle, shook it up, and stuck it in the freezer. And then after the shift was over, we pulled out a couple of chairs into the patio out front, and I had my first mint julep. Oh, get out! And it was like catharsis, kind of, because it was like I'd taken this thing. It was an apology, and then he took it and he did something nice, you know, back back to me. So it was a that was my first real cocktail, and from there, I just started you know, playing around. I've always had a pretty adventurous palate. My grandfather was a chef. Um, and so, um, during my last year of, uh, my MFA program, I I took a wine class and that really kind of accelerated it. So I started with wine and then just started getting deeper and deeper from there. Yeah. You're a classy dude. My first alcoholic woman was a hypnotic. Oh, what was, (laughs) oh no. Oh no. oh no! Yes, that's my response. Uh, years later, fifteen years later. Oh no! Oh no! No, no. It's my boy. Actually, my boy Garrett. He lives here in DC. I might give him a holler later. But Garrett came through my crib because, yo, this is the thing about about uh, uh, hip hop culture. A lot of folks and within the hip hop culture are just starting to experience like alcohol, on like getting knowledgeable about it. Okay. You know what I mean? So rappers at the time were just talking about hypnotic. So you don't know anything else. So if you're 16, 17 years old and you just see this like green drink that looks kind of fruity and delicious, you're like, ah, I want that. And then I took it. This is absolutely disgusting. I remember being like 18. At first, I'm having hypnotic. And that was my first uh, actual bottle that I purchased. I had a friend who was 21. He purchased it for me. I gotcha, gotcha. And it was absolutely disgusting. So yeah, it's it's interesting. You're a classy guy. It's it's interesting, like how you how you first come to it, right? Um, I I didn't come from a family that that really drank alcohol really at all. Like there was maybe a barefoot Merlot somewhere kicking around. Yeah, yeah. Um, but really not much more than that. And so I think it is a little bit strange. My grandfather's still embarrassed. He tells his friends I'm a chemist. Uh, but in a way you are sure sure he can tell tell whatever he wants i don't care but it's it's uh it's strange like i'm definitely doing something that is foreign to what i was i was raised with for sure yo you know what i should have brought up a bottle of hypnotic for you you should have (laughs) next time time, man it's never too late next time i can run to the store grab some hypnotic for us (laughs) i bet that corner store right there's got (laughs) so a quick break eric when we get back we'll go back into your show modern bar cart sounds great my man, we're back. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, how did you first discover podcasting? I started listening to podcasts. So um, after I graduated with my MFA in poetry, remember two unrelated degrees in the humanities can't really do much. So I got marketing jobs. Market Anybody can do marketing, right? If you've got like just some little 
little in. I knew how to write and I knew how to do a WordPress website because I had built one for embitterment. So WordPress plus knowing how to write got me an SEO web content job. So I was able to learn SEO. I was working for these law firms um, for about three years. And I learned at that time that I'm a terrible desk employee. Mm. Absolutely toxic. Because as soon as I don't agree with my manager... I just ruin the day for everybody. I'm just like a bad presence. Yeah, I'm, I'm that way too, man. I'm the exact same way. I feel like it's, it's a different, it's a skill set to be able to be submissive. Yeah. It's a skill set. And to trust what's going on. Like I'm, I, I just question everything, which I think <laughs> is why I enjoy podcasts. Cause you get to, like you said off air, like you really get to just focus on the questions. Yes. And uh, in an office setting, just being constantly questioning is basically just undermining authority, which is something I've been, I've enjoyed since I was a kid, but uh, didn't work out. So I kind of, after a couple of years working for different law firms in legal marketing, I, I stepped out. But during that time, I listened to a lot of podcasts because a lot of what I was doing was kind of just tedious office work. So I had these podcasts piping through my, my headphones uh, during that time. It's right when podcasting got really mainstream. Um, because I'm not, I'm not a guy who's ahead of the curve on much of anything. Yeah, except yeah, me either, for maybe me a couple of spirits. So I didn't come to it in like 2010 or 2012 or whenever it was. I came to it in like 20, you know, 2015, 2016. Yeah, and so the first one that I listened to that was cocktail related was the Speaking Easy podcast. Shout out to those guys, and uh, that got me into like different formats. I started listening um, once I went full time to Tim Ferriss. Um, and that really helped from a business perspective and just like a, a mentality perspective of being an entrepreneur. So um, after having listened to a number of podcasts, I was like, this can't be all that difficult. And less than $1,000 in equipment later, I was just recording my first 10 episodes and we launched those all at once in probably early June of late May or early June of 2017. And, and the rest has kind of just been going straight through from then. Well, I ask most commonly on, on the show, um, if you look up from a, a songwriter background. So when I write music, when you first start off writing music, you don't have your own voice. You kind of discover your voice kind of through your favorite artist. And then over time from doing it enough, you kind of develop your own style. So who is someone that helped you kind of develop your style uh, as, a, as a host? And how did you develop that? I think listening to the way that Tim Ferriss uh, evolved as an interviewer over, over, the, over the course of his podcast was good because he was pretty garbage at first. And now I think he's one of the better interviewers out there. Um, another great interviewer that I, I admire is Sean Carroll. He does a, a more sciencey podcast called mm -hmm. Mindscape. Um, but... I got in the way of myself a lot at first, a lot of interruptives and a lot of interruptions of my guests. And so I think my style now is I still like to keep the back and forth going with my interview guests. Uh, I definitely have an agenda with my podcast, and that's something that I try and structure by sending interview questions ahead of time so that they know kind of like what the, the story, the narrative that I'm trying to tell from, from start to, to finish with, you know, starting with like, if we're doing a spirits-based podcast, it's usually starts with definitions and like, how is this made? And then evolves more to like different styles, different distinctions, different categories. And, and then finally with kind of like a more of a big picture overview. Um, so I try and build that narrative, but I try and do it a little bit more hands-off yeah. than, than I did at first. And um, I, I'd say overall, my style is just to embrace the nuance. Um, 
because I think a lot my frustration with a lot of cocktail podcasts out there is that they offer a recipe and then that's kind of it. They'll offer you some kind of canned wisdom that's generally accepted. And it's all, I, I feel like it's kind of a cliff notes approach to things. And I'm not interested in the cliff notes. I'm interested in where things start to break down. Yeah. Where, especially in think about like the spirits and cocktails world, it's all about definitions and uh, classifications. Like, well, is this, is this a Manhattan or is this a martini? Is this a, uh, a tequila or is this a mezcal? What's the differences between those things? And I'd like to see where those things break down. Um, and so I really embrace the nuance, but I still to try to have that overall structure so that people come out of the podcast, whether they're a complete novice or somebody who's really well versed, I want them all to come out feeling like they've learned something. Because you mentioned that you 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 went out bought the gear and you started your first 10 episodes, but I want to kind of unlock that a little bit more. Like yeah. how did you how did you understand uh the the process? of creating a podcast? Well, for me, I wanted to do a lot of kind of starter content for the first couple episodes. So um, what those actually evolved into, so I didn't like an episode on citrus, an episode on ice, um, episode on what is essential for your home bar. And every once in a while, I'll, I'll drop an episode like that into the podcast and I've actually categorized my episodes and it's, it's really useful on our, on our website because you can actually just click on um, a button and it'll, it'll give you a list of all the things that are in that category. So we have our interview episodes and then the, one of the other big categories is I, what I call bar cart foundations episodes. And I'm actually going to be doing uh, one of those in the week following when we record this uh, on carbonation. Okay. Right. So like, so like talking about what's a, the difference between club soda, sparkling water, seltzer water, tonic water. Like there are some differences here. And I'll be honest, I, I'm at this point in time, I have not yet done my research. So yeah. I don't really know what they are, but I know there are differences and I want there to be one place where a beginner listener can go understand those differences and then have some use case or application for those differences in their home bartending life. So that's what the bar cart foundations episodes do. And those really evolved from that first chunk of episodes I released was more of that foundation style. But then as the podcast got rolling, I got access to more people who actually wanted to sit down and talk with me. So that's kind of how it evolved and how I still keep those foundations episodes in there every once in a while when there's a topic, I feel like I can really zoom in on and be helpful with. I'll, I'll stick one in, but it has evolved to be more of the interview format. You mentioned that, I think I heard on the last episode that, because you're not a bartender, you've never bartended. Have you bartended before? I've been behind some bars. Like I've bartended to help out a couple of my industry friends every once in a while, but I, I have never been employed as a bartender. And then you're, you're, you're laying in the spirits industry. You're not, you're not a, a seller or a distributor. Right. So, so I, I work with distributors. I'm kind of a maker, but we're, we're, I'm trying to transfer away from that. So currently we make all of the embitterment bitters. I'm working on finding a partner uh, to take over that side of things okay. right now. Um, still going to keep everything the same. So going to keep the same great recipes, but we're going to, uh, I want to try and focus more on getting the word out and, and doing more of the the promotion. Well, what was an episode to you, uh, a modern bar cart that stuck out as, as a magical moment or an episode that we should, should check out? Definitely. The one that I would say early on is the best piece of storytelling 
we did was the vodka episode. I think it's episode 28 or something like that. And this one is different than most of the other episodes we do. I, I did interviews with a vodka distiller, uh, someone, one of my wife's friends who grew up in the Soviet Union. Okay. So they got that kind of cultural vodka perspective. And then I did a blind tasting of three different vodkas with two guys, actually the two guys who ran the Speaking Easy podcast, but they hate vodka. So I said, okay, guys, we're going to sit down and we're going to do a blind, t- or not a blind, but a tasting of these different vodkas. Okay. And we're going to see if, if they taste different. And it was so cool to be able to weave the cultural perspective, the distiller's perspective, and then kind of the contrarian's perspective into one story. And so that one's really good. And then in terms of interviews, I had a really interesting interview in Los Angeles with a guy named Brian Davis, who's actually kind of disrupting uh, barrel aging in the spirits industry. And it was so cool to talk to him about his accelerated barrel aging process that he's doing um, where he can take something over the course of just a couple of days and turn it into something with an equivalent profile of something that's been in a barrel for 30 years, uh, which completely shatters the economics of that situation. So, you you know, um, it, it was just so funny to be able to talk to him and have him be so genuine about like what he's doing and how it's it's very different from what the industry is used to and and what that maybe means for the industry. So that was a really cool interview I was able to, to nail down. And, I really liked it. And was that in the the world of 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 you know whiskey or is that in the world of wine? Uh whiskey and and rum and aged spirits like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Stuff that stuff that would go into a, a charred oak barrel and sit there like think of like a a 25 year old rum or, you know, a, a massively old brandy or something like that. Um, if you think about that going into a barrel, you essentially have to, as a distiller, you have to pay rent for that while it sits in your house. So it's going to sit in your little barrel house, taking up space. So you got to pay rent. You got to pay for somebody to go in and taste it every once in a while. And you basically also are just like, it's a cash flow thing of like, it's sitting up on the shelf and you can't sell it until it's ready. Uh, but if you can do something that tastes the same in the course of five days, Yo. How much cheaper would that be? So it would open up an entire new flavor experience to a class of people who up until this point in history had never been able to afford that flavor. Interesting. Wow. That's a well, wait, wait, what episode was that? Uh it was um my interview with Brian Davis. I'm not quite sure the number of the episode, but it was um this past January or February we released it. And um it's the second interview I did with him. The first one was actually an interactive tour of his distillery, which is also really freaking cool because it's like a Wonka Plainland for booze. Yeah. Um, but anything with Brian Davis is is a really great interview that we've done. But what have you personally learned from Modern Barkhart for yourself through this process uh, of podcasting and almost a hundred episodes in? Yeah, hundred episodes. It sounds. It still seems weird to to say that number, but I, I think, I think what I've learned is the power of just asking, and the, and the again, like we were talking about earlier, the power of of networking, not to try and get something from someone, but to try and and give mutual value. Um, I've had some people on this show that I have absolutely no right to have like said yes to me. Uh, Maggie Hoffman, uh, an incredible, really talented spirits writer, um, a ton of different authors who um, have just like said yes to promote a book. And and that was a great way to get in. And and, and some really, really excellent um, distillers and, and industry experts who I just 
asked on a whim, not expecting to be able to. And it was just, I, I learned so much. And uh, I, I'm the sort of person who, d- who doesn't want to inconvenience anyone. I, d- I don't like to put people out. I don't want to often put myself in a position where no could be the answer because I like to try and optimize my life against that. But yeah. the podcast has taught me that that's the, the statistics on that game. If you do it for the right reasons and you frame it correctly, the statistics are overwhelmingly in your favor. So it's something I've grown more comfortable with as a person through the podcast. Yeah. Uh, what about something uh, about yourself? You know, how how were you as a person before you started your podcast, and how have you changed as a person now that you've you know you're approaching a century? You yeah. And episodes. I think now I take a little bit more time and listen differently than I did when I started the podcast. I think I was much more anxious about just like getting my question in there and making sure that like the exact vision of the podcast as I had it going into the episode was going to be realized. But I think now a hundred episodes in, I'm much more comfortable with the free flowing conversation. And I take a, a way more relaxed approach to every interview. And I think universally the interviews go much better when I've got that loose structure on the outside and I just let things flow because it, it allows for the unexpected, allows for surprises. And I think that's, that's something that, that I've gotten more and more comfortable with, uh, as, as I've gotten into the medium is that, and that's why people listen too. they, they listen for the surprise and surprises kind of the thing that delights us about great poetry or great comedy or great flavor. Mm. So, uh, you mentioned off air. You, you, you want to make some drinks. We should. <laughs> so, so what do you like to drink? So I am a gin guy and DC is a gin city. I lo- okay, Wait, explain that to me. Why is DC a gin city? Well, it has a little bit to do with, um, I think, just the heat here. Yeah. So the, the, the gin Ricky is the cocktail of DC. It's DC's official cocktail and it's just gin, lime, soda. Okay. Maybe a little, maybe a little sugar in there, right? So the gin Ricky is this very simple. It's it's basically the lime equivalent of the Tom Collins. Okay. So a little sweet, little a uh, lot of sour uh, soda and ice. So it's super refreshing with those gin botanicals, and that's kind of what you want here in the swamp because it does get real nasty Ooh. here in the summer. So talk about it. And then uh, there, the first distillery that that opened up after prohibition here in DC is called uh, New Columbia Dis- Distillers, and they're the makers of Green Hat Gin. And the guy they named their distillery after was the man in the green hat, who was the official bootlegger of Capitol Hill. Okay. During prohibition, they they actually gave him his own office, I believe. Oh, but that would make sense. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's a g- big gin culture here. Um, and I, my favorite cocktail is the last word, which is equal parts gin, green chartreuse, which is a crazy, crazy flavor. Okay. Maraschino liqueur and, and lime. So it's equal parts and you stir that up. It's just the, it's the craziest cocktail I think you'll ever taste. Because you know what? Like, I, I know that as I've gotten older my tastes have matured like where it was uh was gin always your go-to from the very beginning of your journey like what was your more go-to drink early on i think early on as with many people i was an old-fashioned guy yeah because the old-fashioned there's something beautiful about that simplicity whiskey sugar bitters spirit ice you stir it up it's there's a number of ways you can make it and the the cool thing about the old-fashioned what i'll tell people out there who are listening it's a great indicator cocktail just like the martini, just like the Negroni, these very simple classic cocktails. If you have one that you really like, walk into a bar you don't know 
and to get a read on that bar, order that drink. And the way they prepare that drink for you will tell you kind of what they're all about as a cocktail program. So that's why I like it as an indicator cocktail. Um, but yeah, I think I think I've gotten more into gin because right when I started getting into cocktails, a lot of American distillers started doing new things with gin, not just the juniper bomb London dries that we're all associated with. Um, so to me, that was a really cool entry point where I could just dive deep down this rabbit hole and and really dig into botanical profiles and, and train my palate. So I think that's why I love it. Because you know what? I, I have a question for you. I interviewed um, this guy named DJ Clark Kent. He's a music producer. He's like produced for some legendary cast like Jay-Z and Biggie and okay. all these big guys. And he he mentioned something on, in, our, in our episode that was interesting to me that I never thought about. And at the end of the episode, he talks about going to because he's a dj going to parties and it messes up the party for him when the dj's not good right because he can't just enjoy the music for being the music yeah so has your love for spirits and your knowledge of spirits um and your experience with spirits kind of sometimes maybe ruin what should be just a fun night at a bar with friends but because you are such an expert and you study this that you're like, ah, I just want this to be right. I don't think so. To be honest, I think I would actually say the opposite because what has happened more, like instead of getting more and more kind of like, like fastidious about what I want and mm-hmm. like exacting with like, uh, I would never send anything back. First of all, like, like even if I got uh, like a cocktail that I didn't like, I would never send it back. But now I think at, especially at home, because that's where I do most of my drinking is is at home as opposed to out at the bar because just got a new place, money's a little tight. But uh, I, I get I find that I've actually gotten lazier. So mm. like when I'll make myself a cocktail, sometimes I'll just ditch the garnish. Like and you know you know in an old fashioned that that orange peel garnish is like your clutch tops it off. Yeah, yeah. So I find it actually goes the opposite direction for me. And I think what you can equate it to is chefs. So if you ask that same question to a chef about food, like if you see what a chef eats, it's like they're just sitting in the kitchen, like just shoveling in some like just nasty, greasy mac and cheese. Like they're making these like five star meals right? and they're just like, just give me some empty carbs. And I, I'd say, if anything, it's the opposite direction. Like the same thing for me. I, I've gotten less, <laughs> less exacting about what I'm looking for in a drinking experience. And when I do go out, I'm looking to appreciate the things that are done well. And I'm more apt to like overlook the things that aren't. So how about we shake up this, this cocktail that I just made? Dude, what's shaking? Let's do it. So what I put in this cocktail shaker right now is equal parts gin. In our case, we used Roku gin, which is a really amazing Japanese gin that just hit the American market. You can see my bottle's almost empty. Um, you've, been, you've been getting down. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's a fantastic, you could sip this straight or you could make a great cocktail with it. Um, and then we've got the chartreuse. We've got another French liqueur called Suze. And Suze is a gentian liqueur. And I love this because gentian is the bittering agent that we use in all of our cocktail bitters. It's okay. very bitter. Uh, so this kind of puts it closer to like an Amaro, but it's also got these great lemony notes, which is why the last part of the cocktail is lemon juice. So lemon juice and Suze always go great together. So we've got the gin, the chartreuse, the Suze, and lemon juice in equal parts. And I'm going to shake that up right now. Yes.
smack pop out that. Let's go. Shaker tin. And I'm going to strain it into a couple little like novelty little glasses that I have. I got these at Thrift Shopping, which is a great place to get glassware. Okay. Um, on the cheap. I think I paid like less than five bucks for each of these glasses. And you can see this, this has just this creepy green, like ghostly milky color to it, which is the chartreuse and the Sioux. Yeah. It's kind of has like a, like, like, um, you were saying it, but that's like a, if I could describe it to the audience, it's yellowish green. It's almost like a, like Gak from Nickelodeon, but like way lighter. Yeah. Like a lighter Nickelodeon Gak. Yeah, totally. And, um, yeah. So why don't we give this a, give this a little sip. Cheers, brother. Cheers. Oh my goodness. It's refreshing. Got that lemon pop. This is okay. This is my non-expert analysis <laughs> of how I will categorize this to the audience. This is like a grown-up version of a lemon drop. Yeah, totally. But the grown-up version. Right, like the evolved, like the all-the-way evolved Pokemon. Yes, like this is refreshing. This is light. This is grown and sexy. This is what you want with your girl in the spring on a Sunday at brunch. Totally. Like this is sexy. Totally. And, and if you wanted to stretch this cocktail out, like say you made like a portion of it and you brought it in like, um, you know, like a big water bottle or something. If you brought that to a party and then put some sparkling water next to it or some some club soda or whatever, then you could serve that on ice as like a highball and stretch it out a little bit and it would still be super refreshing. What what else do you do you taste in here? Well, you definitely get that gentian. So like as as you finish as the, the, the end of the, the flavor profile is called the finish usually. So on the finish, which is basically the way I describe it, is it's basically it's the cloud of dust that remains as the flavor drives off. Yeah. Um, you get that bitterness. So it's sitting there right on the back of your tongue. I get like that that bitterness from the gentian and the Sioux. And you still get some of those soft herbal kind of flowery qualities of the chartreuse. Definitely a floral. That's why I definitely get that feeling of spring. Mm-hmm. It just feels very appropriate for like, this type of day that we're in right now. Totally. And you know, it's funny when people think of gin cocktails, they think of a gin and tonic, like a classic Tanqueray gin and tonic where you're like, bam, I've got my lime, I've got my juniper, I've got my bubbles, I'm good to go. The gin is really adding something to that. But here, and as with so many like Japanese spirits, the purity of the gin here is almost what they optimize for. So here, the gin is very much in the background. It's like a supporting character. You're not tasting too, too many characteristics of this gin, it's almost acting as like the blank canvas for these other really interesting flavors to play against. Wow. 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 Well, okay. Well, this is my, by far the, the happiest uh, podcasters pick segment I've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> this is amazing. So Eric, we've had a part of the show called our podcasters picks where I asked my favorite podcaster to give me their favorite shows, three of their favorite shows, and to describe them to me. So, as we sit here and enjoying some delicious spirits, yeah, give me three shows that you enjoy, my man, that we should be checking out. You're very lucky, actually, being from New York. There's the Heritage Radio Network. They broadcast. Yes, my homegirl is on that network. Really? Uh, uh, I had her on OPP, Linda Liu. Okay. She has a podcast called yes. Feast Meets West. Yes, I listened to that one. That was really good. So, uh, th- that 
they operate out of Roberta's Pizza. Yeah, yes. In beautiful Bushwick. Bushwick. Yes. Yes, I've never heard Bushwick be referred to as beautiful, but yes, it is. <laughs> so it's, it's creative. It's innovative. Yes. Um, but yeah, so um, the Heritage Radio Network does great food and beverage programming. So if you're looking for that, if you listen to the Modern Bar Cart podcast and you're like, I like this. There are a couple of great shows there. Um, one that I listen to every week is Cooking Issues. It's by Dave Arnold, who's the author of Liquid Intelligence. He has this aggressive, manic, very New York energy about him, but he also is such an authority. Like, like he'll come out and say something hugely offensive or abrasive, but he has a list of 10 reasons why that is universally true and why he can make that claim in such a bold, brash manner. He just walks the walk so intensely uh, that when it comes to food, uh, I, I, I love listening to him. So that that's a great show. Um, and then The Speakeasy, uh, hosted by uh, Damon Bolte, who owns Grand Army in New York, and okay. Souther Teague, who owns Amoria Margo and Honeybee and Windmill and a number. He's just this. Uh, he recently published a book as well. Um, so that that's a great spirits industry podcast to listen to. And then my last one for a food drink would be the Spirit Guide Society podcast uh, based out of the Seven Grand in L.A. That's hosted by Pedro Shanahan, and they have this huge whiskey bar out in L.A., and they have these brand reps coming in from all over the world. So they'll do a podcast with their Spirit Guide Society where these people just take you through this whole tasting of a, of a portfolio of spirits. And it's so cool to be able to listen in to how these people talk about flavor. Um, so I really love listening to that. That helps me as I'm trying to like hone my own palate for these judging opportunities. Yeah, I listen to that a lot. And it feels like while I'm out driving, I can still be like educating myself about that. Wow. And so uh, the last question to wrap up this amazing interview is Eric, why do you podcast? I think I podcast because I'm definitely more of a long form person than a short form person. And I prefer, as we've mentioned a couple times here, I prefer complexity and nuance to something that might be more of like a stock answer or, or a very neat box to be able to put something into. Um, and I have this, this quote that I really enjoy, uh, from, I believe it's, it's usually attributed to John Stuart Mill. It could be Mark Twain or Albert Einstein, you know, you know how the internet's full of quotes that just get attributed to like three people. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the quote is, uh, I would not give a fig for the simplicity on this side of complexity, but for the simplicity on the other side of complexity, I would give everything. Mm. And that really resonates with me because what I think I'm trying to do as I podcast is get people to embrace that complexity like I have been and, and to get people who may be just starting out on their journey as a home bartender to take a risk, to, to buy a bottle they might not otherwise buy, to make a cocktail for a guest that they might not feel totally comfortable executing um, and to ask questions during the podcast that, that, that might get us a little deeper than we otherwise might on a shorter form podcast. And the goal is that hopefully if I can keep doing this the way that I am and, and keep going with this, that eventually I'll hopefully be able to put together some sketchy, maybe pixelated picture of what that simplicity on the other side of complexity looks like. I don't I don't know if we'll ever get there because I think it's meant to be kind of aspirational, but I think that's kind of what I'm shooting for and, and I think that's that's what keeps me scheduling these podcasts and and keeps me excited about it. 
Wow. Well, Eric Koslick, host of Modern Bar Cart, my man. Thank you so much for having me here at your lovely home. I feel like I'm like, am I like your first guest that you had in your home? You're pretty well, the shade, <laughs> considering the shades are still in boxes in the living room. Yeah. No, I, I feel so honored to be here. Thank you for welcoming me into your home. I love your show. I adore you, man. And thank you so much for contributing so much to the space. I appreciate you. Corey, thanks for having me, man. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of OPP and to our special guest, Eric Koslick. I'll be sure to provide the link to Modern Bar Cart in the description of this episode. This episode was mixed by Mark Bird. Music for this episode was produced by Richie Quake. And before we get out of here, be sure to check out my other show, Silent Giants. Silent Giants highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. And I'll be sure to provide the link for you to that in the description of this episode. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Pop bless y'all. Till next time. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.